Welcome to the Davos in the Desert podcast series. My name is Mark Oliver and I am the producer of the Davos in the Desert podcast series. Our podcasts feature thought leaders in business and public policy. Our sessions are meant to be informative and thought-provoking. The topic of this session is managing restaurant turnarounds, and our guest is Mark Byers. Mark is the managing director of Sonoran Capital Advisors. Without further ado, here is David Wanatik, the CEO of Davos in the Desert and the host of our podcast series. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Davos in the Desert podcast series. My name is David Wanatik. Very pleased to introduce Mark uh, Byers. Uh, he is a managing director at Sonoran Capital Advisors. Uh, Mark, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, David, it's great to be with you today. Thank you. So the focus of this session is restaurant turnaround situations. Right. So uh, before we dive right into turning around restaurants, maybe just tell us a little bit uh, about uh, your firm, Sonoran Capital Advisors. Yeah, sure. So uh, Sonoran Capital Advisors was a firm, uh, it's a restructuring advisory firm uh, based in Mesa, Arizona, and was started in uh, 2018 by uh uh, Brian Perkinson and Matt Foster, they're our, they're our founders. They are uh, steeped in restructuring work and have been since the, the early early 2000s. Uh, I came to know them when they worked on a bankruptcy that I was involved in as the CFO of a tobacco company. And uh, that was, a, that was a, good, a good partnership with us. And then uh, I went on to do some other restructuring work. And then a couple of years uh, later, they approached me and said, you know, we, we're, we're building our, our firm. Why don't you come and join us? So I said, great. And uh, they, uh, what we do is uh, a lot of bankruptcy work. We do some receiverships. Uh, we'll do in interim management work. Like we might take on the chief restructuring officer role for a company that's in turnaround. Uh, we'll do fractional CFO work. And then we also have a division that does uh, small business advisory. So companies that are also not in a distress situation, but they are in a growth mode. And so we'll uh, we'll help them find find funding. We'll raise capital for them, and uh, so we provide a, a wide range of uh, both restructuring and growth oriented accounting and finance services. Great. And do you focus on any particular industries? I know we're going to talk a lot about restaurants, but sure. aside from the restaurants, any other areas? Of yeah, we're very industry agnostic. Uh, we've seen a lot of real estate deals come through. We've done some healthcare uh, initiatives. We're um, We've done some recently some crypto uh, work. We've had a couple of crypto bankruptcies that we're working on, and we've also done several deals in the cannabis space and also some manufacturing on manufacturing deals. Okay, great. Yeah. So um, maybe you can tell us a story about a, a restaurant uh, that you have turned around or in the process of turning around. Yeah, we're actually in the in the middle. Uh, we're we're kind of in the home stretch on on a project that we've been involved in for about the last six to eight months. It's a uh, chain of restaurants based in California. Uh, they had some uh, also some outlets here in, in Arizona. Um, this is a uh, this is quite a story actually. Uh, in this story, the uh, the man the owner of these very longtime operator of very successful large footprint restaurants. We're talking, you know, 15,000 square feet restaurants, big, big operations, and a very, very, very successful. And at some point about three years ago, he decided that what he wanted to do was step back from day-to-day -day management and also expand. So he uh, partnered with somebody who was introduced to him through a bank, which was a reputable source of an introduction. 
and uh, hired this person to be his CEO and, and help uh, expand his brands, bring on some new brands to manage, where he didn't have to be day-to-day -day walking around in, in his own stores, you know, managing general managers and doing that kind of thing. He, he really wanted to um, take a step back from all that day-to-day -day stuff and be more higher level C, do higher level CEO work. So the, the uh, consulting agreement that he signed locked him out of a lot of management of his own stores. And uh, that was not a good, a good thing for him. So this, this man that he hired to be the CEO turned out to be uh, somewhat of a, of a con artist and has, uh, so now our, our client is in personal bankruptcy uh, his restaurants have been leaned up by uh, a bunch of loans that were uh, taken out without his uh, without his permission. Uh, we've seen fraudulent uh, what we what we would think are fraudulent transfers out of the out of the organization and out of the out of the restaurant to fund other things. Uh, there's a black hole of information that we're trying to get uh, of accounting information that we're still trying to get our arms around of what happened. And so there's a lot of litigation going on right now in this in this deal. So it's uh, it's been really complex. Yeah, it seems like in that kind of situation, there would naturally be tension uh, between the owner and the CEO. I would, my guess would be that the CEO had some kind of incentive program that if he met certain goals, he would get you know some some financial benefits, and um, you know there's a I guess tension who makes the decisions. Right. Uh, so. Yeah, in, in our case, the CEO is making all of the all of the management decisions, all the financial decisions, and our uh, our client was, uh, you know, really didn't he he had given up a lot of authority in the in this matter. So last summer, what he did was he re-entered, he fired the CEO, and uh, started to pick up the pieces of what was left. So out of uh, five entities that he started with, he has two of them now. Three of them were closed down during this process. Uh, now, keep in mind, he started this uh, within six months before the, the pandemic shut everything down. And so that was a very exasperating, uh, that situation exasperated the, the distress. And so we have, uh, from that, we have a lot of lingering liabilities in terms of uh, rent that's due in arrears on, on some of the leases that he has. Uh, there are vendors that... Uh, have have not been not been serviced in a while and there are you know there in a restaurant there are all kinds of things you have to consider including staffing and uh having a a, a robust management team to run your run your stores and uh in this case a lot of the people that were very competent very strong managers when the new ceo came in they either left or were fired and uh, people that were more like the B and C players were promoted into those positions. So we're dealing with a lot of different levels of distress on, on this operation. And in terms of, of tension between the, our owner and the CEO, well, that, that tension is continuing, but now it's continuing through um, you know, the use of attorneys and litigation and a lot of court filings. Right, so uh, at the outset of that agreement with the owner and the incoming CEO, um, you know, I, again, I would imagine that the CEO receives some incentives to meet certain milestones and, and get certain uh, benefits if the milestones were reached. Um, and uh, the CEO may, the owner may detect the CEO is doing a really poor job. He's, he's running the business into the ground. So I'd like to cancel the agreement. Um, are there some types of buyout clauses or, you know, because 
you know, potentially the, the CEO could say, well, I'm in the process of building a great business for you. You're cutting me off too early. You know, you have to buy me out or you have to give me some uh, termination benefits. Right. So it, from our point of view, from our owner's point of view, he was terminated for cause, which would cancel any incentive plans that that might have been out there as a carrot to, to perform. So there's a, there's certainly some arguments about what he's due and what he's owed. Um, and that's kind of happening in the background right now. But where we're at right now is we've, we've been on the uh, a, a five or six month exercise to figure out how do we recapitalize uh, these, you know, these, you know, three locations that we have, because now we have, you know, three stores basically that, that really need to be recapitalized. The banks that are involved have a lot of deal fatigue. Uh, they were lied to time and time again by the CEO. And so they want to exit the relationship. So it's been our job to try to line up new capital with um, a fresh set of eyes and someone that can be very creative in helping our owner restore his business. Um, as far as the firing the very good managers, was that motivated to reduce costs? Um, what was the thinking behind firing those managers? Well, I think there were there were a, a couple that probably questioned the CEO's um, strategy or the CEO's directions. And uh, I, I think as a new CEO coming in, you 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 know it's not it's not abnormal for a CEO to um, try to put people in different places that he thinks will do what he says, what he says is the right way to do things. So if there was any pushback from these managers, I would, I think that's the reason why they were let go. And then other, the other good managers that, that saw the writing on the wall from the beginning, they, they saw a very simple operation get very complex. They were overlaid with a lot of systems that were very superfluous, didn't need to be there. And they threw up their arms and said, we don't, you know, I can go manage a restaurant without all this overhead. I can go manage a restaurant without dealing with all of these new policies, these procedures that don't really add any value to our operation and just make the CEO try to try to make him look good. Um, so, you know, that management shift really, uh, I would say it decimated the operation, but it, but it, you didn't have the right people in the right places anymore. And performance started to show up in terms of, you know, financial results, uh, attention to detail started to, you know, be less of a thing. And our owner is very, very much an attention to detail person because that's how great restaurant brands get built and that's how they survive. What were some of the policies and technologies that the CEO wanted to bring in that the managers didn't like? Yeah, there are, you know, uh, management systems like, you know, there's a, you know, a bunch of them like Slack and uh, Monday and Rike and, and, and those end up being, if you're not careful with those, more of a social media, uh, you know, for, for your team. So we found that our managers were, instead of walking the floor of the restaurant, uh, greeting guests and paying attention to, is there, you know, is there something on the floor that needs to be cleaned? Is there something in the kitchen that needs to be handled? A lot of them were sitting at their computer, looking at their, you know, their their feed from these these management systems, and it really derailed the, you know, the operation. Uh, whereas, you know, we we know what how to run a run a restaurant. It's let's order the right amount of food to our pars. Let's make sure we have the right kind of, uh, you know, uh, liquor, beer, soft drinks in stock. Let's manage our cash flow so that. By the time we're done selling this food, we have the money to pay for it. 
And uh, a lot of the systems that were put in place just derailed all of that smooth operation. Okay. Yeah. So in, instead of being a value add, which is how it was how it was introduced, it ended up be, being just a uh, a large waste. Do you find other technologies are um, conducive to enhancing efficiency? You know, like uh, uh, ordering electronically, having the customer pay their own tab by scanning the QR code and th those kinds of things. Sure. Yeah, those kinds of things are some of those things and, and those some of those um, pieces of technology are, are being used in the restaurants and some of those are very value added. Uh, but when you when you overlay too much of that, then it uh, it takes away from the central operation, which is how do we put good food on a plate? And how do we get make sure the customers have an amazing experience at the restaurant? Because that's what the name of the game is in the restaurant business. How do we give people a good dining experience? Right. I, I think some restaurants go a little too far with the technology. Some restaurants don't give you many menus anymore. You have to scan the QR code on the table and order yep. yourself, basically, and pay yourself. Uh, I agree with you there. That sometimes it gets a little overboard. Yeah. Uh, in fact, if you walk into a McDonald's now, Sometimes you don't even get to talk to a person until you pick up your food. You yeah. order a kiosk and, and then your food appears. And uh, it takes a little bit of the, the personal nature of, of you know, the, and the personal interaction uh, out of the experience. And I think, that's, uh, I think that's not been a good thing. Right. You know, for people that are, you know, not used to using the technology older or don't have the right model phone or don't have a good signal that day or whatever. It is frustrating. Or like um, me, if you need these things to read a menu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice okay. to have a paper menu sometimes. H have you seen situations where there's just outright fraud at, at restaurants? Uh, it, it, it happens, uh, particularly if you have management uh, managers that uh, there's not a lot of internal controls that, that keep them in line. Uh, it's not so much anymore, but restaurants used to be more of a cash intensive business where fraud was more prevalent. Um, there's still, you know, change orders. Uh, and by, by change orders, I mean, you know, you have to go to the bank, get the actual cash to pay out your servers. They're, you know, they're gratuities that they've earned and, and there can be some mischief wherever there's uh, cash involved. There can also be some mischief in terms of uh, if, if a, a bad actor uh, can persuade a vendor to play along with some scheme, then you can see some fraud there too. But it's generally not with the customers. It's generally with the, the vendors or with banking operations that we've seen. So, um, yeah, I, I, I suppose with vendors, um, you have to have somebody that really inspects the inventory that's purchased. Right? Yeah, so you do. So restaurants are... Uh, the, the thing that, that, that restaurants really have to control is their prime costs. And their prime costs are made up of their, their food and their beverages and their labor. And generally, in, in our case, that has to come in at, at about 60%. Otherwise, uh, the financial results are going are gonna to not be where you want them to be. And in our case, uh, our CEO, you know, instead of uh, looking at how much is this food going to cost us, uh, he more said, well, let's just, you know, what food do I want to, do I want to offer? What do I want to have on the menu, regardless of cost? Because I think it's going to be a better offering for the customer. And when you disregard costs to, uh, to hope for a customer experience that's going to drive business, 
then you're setting yourself up for failure. You have to manage costs in the restaurant, period. You know, just things like uh, receiving inventory, order 100 hamburger patties, you right. know, when you get 95, whether that's intentionally or just unintentionally. Yep. Um, yeah, you have to have controls in place. In our in our case, we have a PAR sheet uh, that that the the chefs, you know, the, the back of the house staff, that's the the chef de cuisine and the sous chefs. Whoever is is ordering uh, is responsible for ordering food items needs to order to a PAR sheet so we can track inventory. Then those invoices need and the checklist need to go to the accounting department so that everything gets tied out correctly. And uh, there's not was not a lot of that going on before we stepped in. So we had to reinstitute a lot of policies that made sense and a lot of internal controls that were taken out of the out of the operation. But you're right. You you got to question every single every single discrepancy that comes in, in terms of what did you receive and what are you paying for. Yeah, yeah. and just accounting wise, you know, there's in other businesses uh, you have some vendors that uh, intentionally or unintentionally bill you twice. They may have like a direct uh, electronic payment set up, yep. and they still send an invoice. Yeah, and if the bookkeeper is not you know cognizant of that, double paying could could occur. Yeah, I, I can't stress enough the value of having a good controller in a, in a restaurant operation. Good controller will spot those kinds of details. A good controller has their arms around every single uh, order. A good controller knows who the vendors are that we that we should be ordering from. And uh, fraud can happen when you have uh, the introduction of a new vendor and there's no checking on who that is. There's no uh, check and balance. Okay. Do, did we approve the addition of this new vendor? What are they going to What are they going to service us with? If those kinds of checks and balances are in place, then there's lots of um, lots of room for mischief. The term you use to check inventory par sheet. Yes. Par sheet. Yeah. So par, sheet. par sheets. So you order to a par amount. So if uh, most restaurants have an idea of what they're going to serve over the next you know, a few days to a week in terms of fresh food, like fresh fish and, you know, beef and, and other food items, you want to make sure that you are not ordering too much and ordering and not ordering too little. So you come up with a par sheet to say, well, we think it's going to be this. And you, and if your inventory, if you say you need 10 hamburger patties for the day and you only have five, then, well, you're going to order five and no more. Uh, same thing with on down the line from your produce vendors to uh, your dairy vendors and everybody else that that you need product from. And when you go outside the pars, then uh, you really got to start questioning why. Why okay. did that happen? Now it could be, and it could be a very good good. Uh, there could be a very good explanation for that. Uh, so there may be a special event that you're hosting. There may be a banquet that you're hosting, and so those questions always always need to get asked. So you know what's going on. Okay. How much does technology help with predicting demand and, and so forth? Or is that type of technology overrated? No, I don't think so. I, I think there's some value to technology. Um, I think where people go wrong is they think technology is going to solve every problem and solve every communication issue. And people, what we found is that um, what's very important, and this is across every business, is if you want to run a business well, the person running it and everybody on down the line and in terms of restaurants it's from the dishwasher on up to the to the general manager and the owner you need to know what information do i need 
when do I need it and who do I need it from in order to, do, to be successful at my job? Okay. The information flow is really important. Um, as far as accounting for tips and complying with uh, the law, mm -hmm. um, you know, what kind of complications arise there of not, not, not reporting all of the tips? Yeah, we don't run into that. We haven't run into that too much. The tips are, uh, you know, generally reported on the on the ticket. Uh, that's all done electronically. Uh, we haven't found much uh, in terms of being compliant there. There's, there's, you know, we include that on the on the uh, employee's paycheck uh, in terms of what they earned, even though it's not a it's a reportable income. So we report that on their paycheck. Uh, we haven't run into much much mischief in terms of tips on on this case. I'm sure it's happened uh, where people will underreport their their earnings. Um, if a if a restaurant wants to um, you know play around with the numbers, there's lots of opportunity to do it. Um, but if you put the right technology in, but not too much, then you can manage that. Um, I, I've been to a restaurant that had a no tipping policy and they would just add right. a gratuity to the check. Um, so there was no opportunity to have a misreporting. Um, right. the, the issue with the bank, the, the concern you had with the bank, was that um, not all the cash making its way into a deposit slip? Was that the concern? For the uh, change orders, that kind of thing? Perhaps, yeah, maybe. Yeah, so, um, I mean, very little anymore do, do people pay with cash. Um, when we do have cash, that generally goes into a, um, you know, that cash stays in the restaurant. It doesn't get deposited into the bank, but there is a, um, a, a cash ledger for the safe at the store that we can uh, draw from to make, make payments to servers. And then if we need to supplement that, we'll do a change order from the bank. And then one of the managers will go to the bank, retrieve the, the supplementary cash that's needed to pay out servers. But that's all done you know, behind the scenes. We know what the servers have earned. Uh, we know it needs to get paid out and they're, and they're paid out on a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis, depending on the restaurant. As far as raising capital uh, for struggling restaurants, is there a, a community of uh, a venture capital or turnaround funds or um, equipment financing uh, factoring companies you go to? Yeah, so there's with uh, factoring companies don't really play into um, restaurants because there really are no receivables to to factor. It's uh, it's generally you earn your money on the day that the restaurant's open. If the restaurant's not open, you're not earning any money. So there's really nothing to factor there. Uh, for raising capital, uh, there's there's a, a few things that restaurants have to have to pay attention to when they go into distress. If they if they own the building and they have a bank loan, they need to make sure that their their lender is uh, being communicated to and their debts being serviced. If in, in distress, uh, you may want to approach your bank and try to refinance your debts or to lower your payments. In in the case of you know we saw with the pandemic, there was a lot of uh, uh, you know, the, the restaurants shut down completely for a number of months, which if you're not open, you can't earn money and you can't service your debts. So uh, we've seen a lot of banks that have um, refinanced their their obligations with uh, with restaurants. 
they will extend the 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 life of the lease or the life of the loan to take payments further on down the road. Uh, we've also seen where uh, uh, banks will take the amount that's the, you know kind of like the cure amount, what would make it right, and they'll spread that over the remaining life of the life of the loan. And so they the restaurant ends up with a small incremental uh, payment adjustment on their on their loan. Uh, what doesn't work is when you stop paying. And what really doesn't work is when you stop paying and stop communicating because uh, banks love communication and they love to know what's going on and they need to manage their credits that way. And uh, so restaurant operators, uh, I think they run the gamut just like in all other industries. There are, there are some very sophisticated, smart people running restaurants. And then there are people that don't have a lot of business experience. They're, they're good chefs. They make good food but they've never run a business before. And a lot of people can get into trouble thinking that just because they know how to do something that they can run a business that does that. And uh, so in the restaurant industry, uh, I think that's more prevalent with smaller operations than with, than with larger operations. Larger chains have the, you know, the financial acumen to make adjustments. Uh, they, have, they know what the expectations are from the creditors. And so they're very on top of communication. But when you get a bad actor in, in place, then a lot of that stops and uh, lenders, uh, landlords, they get very frustrated in a situation like that, which is what, which is what we've seen. So uh, another important thing to, to, that restaurants need to do to get out of distress is if they have a leased operation, if they're, if they're restaurants on a leased, you know, in a leased building, how do we approach the landlord to make sure that we have access to our restaurant so we can earn money? Uh, th there's a lot of negotiations that need to happen with creditors to get out of distress. Okay. I think you told me about a situation where there were um, multiple liens on the same property. Correct. Um, yeah. What, what happened yeah. there? Well, there were, there were, uh, you know, in this situation, the, the CEO said, well, well, let's, let's take this loan so we can finance the purchase of this other chain of restaurants. And so uh, they all put money in and the first person to uh, you know, file a UCC one is the first person on top. So in our case, we had uh, multiple restaurants that had the same leverage put on it through UCC filing. And so that requires a, uh, to, to get those released requires you know, hiring attorneys, negotiating with the other party, uh, doing discovery if if the person's really obstinate then it's having you know going all the way through the court process through litigation and uh you know that's never a good thing you know the only people that really make a lot of money there is the attorneys in that case okay um was there another situation where um a restaurant operator raised capital from investors um for one purpose but diverted the capital to other uses? Yeah, we've seen that. We saw that a lot in this case. So um, there were probably at the at the height about 17 different locations going on. And because uh, there was a, 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 you know, there was, there was a situation with the accounting system where the, the controller that was really strong and really good had no access to the bank accounts for some of these other operations. And the, so the CEO would uh, invest in these other operations, would pay bills on their behalf through a credit card, would not report any of the transactions to 
the people that were responsible for reporting uh, to creditors. So uh, we couldn't issue financials, uh, couldn't file taxes. So we're still dealing with having to file taxes from 2020, from 2021, from 2022. There are uh, millions of dollars of ERC money sitting out there that we could uh, that we could monetize pretty quickly. However, we don't have the information for that. So, uh, you know, we are, uh, you know, still dealing with with all of the all of that mess and trying to figure out where did all the money go, how did it get diverted, and what's the liability, and how do we unwind all of that. I'm not sure if um, you, you you see this, but are there any uh, sort of uh, industry multiples you're seeing um, when a restaurant uh, seeks to sell itself? And, um, do you get into that? Yeah, we we haven't got really gotten into uh, multiples. Our focus has more been on you know how are we going to find a financial partner that's got the wherewithal and the creativity to help us uh, recapitalize these 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 stores. And let them operate the way they need to operate. So um, you have to have a creative financial partner uh, in a situation that, like like we're in, uh, banks have deal fatigue. They they may or may not get uh, taken out with a new loan at at par for their loan. They may have to take a discount. It, and you know that's that's one of the things that we're that we're probably proposing in this deal. And uh, you know, banks won't be happy with that, but they're they re recognize that getting something for their uh, some proceeds out of their credit is better than the owner walking away from the business, closing the doors, and, and everybody gets nothing. So, do the investors typically look uh, back more at the history of the restaurant chain, or do they look at the future? Maybe there's a new management team, a new menu concept, new marketing. Yeah, you know, in, in, in in our particular case right now, the, the the financing partner is more focused on the future. They need to, need to understand what were the sources of distress to begin with, how have we addressed those those distress factors, what's going to be put in place to make sure that doesn't happen again, and then what does the restaurant operation uh, look like moving forward? Are there any upsides that have been ignored for the past, you know, whatever it is, two or three years, six months, that can be capitalized, that can be accretive to the operation? such as how do we market uh, additional banquet services? How do we uh, leverage our downtimes better? Uh, you know, restaurants always have lulls in activity. For, uh, you know, uh, a fast food restaurant, it could be, you know, between dinner time and the late night crowd. Uh, for, for large footprint restaurants, it's mid-afternoon. So how can we get people in the door and uh, ordering food for either, you know, sitting there or how do we leverage our takeout business more? So that we can uh, increase revenues that way. Are, are is the restaurant staff malleable? You know, um, would would a server do other things when they're not busy? They probably wouldn't want to wash dishes or, or something like that. But you know, is there other use they can be put to? Uh, there can be, but it has to be driven from the top down. That kind of culture needs to be. Uh, it, it needs to be uh, instilled from management on down. If it's a, we're a can-do attitude and we'll do whatever it takes to uh, manage the restaurant, we'll do whatever it takes to serve the customer well. And part of that is everybody has a job to do. And sometimes those jobs are, are the things. 
And if that kind of culture is instilled from the top on down, then you, you can certainly see that and leverage the people that you have. Any uh, ideas for a restaurant operator to restrict the use of uh, cell phones and texting and stuff like that during working hours? Sure. The, and a lot of restaurants have that policy where unless you're on a break, then you're not on your phone. And uh, I think that's pretty standard. Okay. And uh, maybe the, the last question, um, how hands are you? How hands-on are, are you when you take on an engagement? Uh, do you spend a lot of time, you know, at the restaurant? Um, do you walk around the restaurant a lot? Um, or is it more infrequent visits, more discussions with management? Yeah, our role is more of the um, of the top level uh, management and the and and the vision for where the restaurant and the and the owner wants to take his business. So I interface a lot with the owners, with the management team, and with the back office uh, accounting and operations teams. Very rarely will I uh, will I interact with the server or walk the floor, but. Uh, you know, again, attention to detail is everything in a restaurant. So if the if the owner or the manager, the general manager has that, uh, you know, that is part of a psyche that and 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 delivers that down through the staff, um, then that's how that that all happens. Okay. Well, uh, this was a great session on uh, turning around restaurants. So I'd like to thank Mark Byers who is a Managing Director from Sonoran Capital Advisors. So it was a great session. Thank you very much. All right, David, appreciate it. Thank you very much.